Vad är det för fan? Um, we're continuing our series in the Jonah. Now, going back a few years, uh, 2018, I think it was, I had a, a, a person who attended our church. She came to visit in the office, and she was frantic. She was um, quite, um, yeah, quite overwhelmed, quite um, anxious. And I was like, okay, come in, sit down, talk to me. What, what's going on? And she said, Rob, um, uh, there's a guy who lives up in Belmont. He's a prophet, and he said that in 2018 there's going to be a massive earthquake and the whole of the Hutt Valley is going to be hit by a tsunami. It's going to flood the whole Hutt Valley. And, and I thought, okay, um, bummer. Um, and, and, and I said, so, so what makes you think that it's real? She goes, oh, I feel it in my spirit. I can feel I'm, I'm anxious. I'm upset. And, and this guy, he's a, he's, a, you know, he's a really strong Christian leader man. He, he's been a pastor. And, and he's saying it. And we're believing it. And I'm like, she goes, you need to tell the church. Uh, I'm not feeling it. What do you mean you're not feeling it? You need to do something about this. I was like, Let's pray about this and, and let's work this through. We can't pray about this. It's already 2018. We're all going to be drowning soon. What do we do if it doesn't happen? What do you mean? What do we do if it doesn't happen? Well, praise God. For what? Praise God it didn't happen. Well, we could say that every day then, couldn't we? We don't need a prophet to tell us that. And she got really put out. She goes, oh, I can't believe this. And she walked out. And then, of course, she put it all over Facebook and it became this big thing. And then, um, I don't know if you noticed, there was no major earthquake in 2018. And, and if you missed it, we weren't flooded. Uh, apart from maybe, you know, the Hutt River doing its thing. Uh, fast forward a couple more years. In 2020, um, I had, again, uh, another person in our church found out that... Um, I was scheduled to get the vaccine. And he wanted to meet with me because he was deeply concerned. And I was like, sure, let's meet. He goes, Rob, you can't take the vaccine. God's told me to tell you that you shouldn't take the vaccine. I was like, oh, okay. Help me out here. He goes, Rob, if you take the vaccine, you'll be dead in two years. And I said, is that your fear? Is this what you're afraid of or... Are you telling me this is what God's telling you? God's telling me this, absolutely. Okay. And I asked him the same question. What do we do if I'm still alive in two years' time? What do you mean? Well, let me turn you to Deuteronomy. Because I think some of us miss this important verse about what it means to be a prophet. It says this. A prophet who presumes to speak in my name anything I have not commanded or a prophet who speaks in the name of other gods is to be put to death. You may say to yourselves, how can we know when a message has not been spoken from the Lord? Well, if a prophet proclaims something in the name of the Lord and does not take place or come true, that is a message that the Lord has not spoken. That's pretty straightforward, huh? And yet, I'm not sure what it is about us Christians they like to make these pronouncements in the name of God, scare us all and make us do all these silly things. 
and then nothing happens, but then we don't hold these people to account. Now, we don't have to put them to death. But what I said to this guy is I said, look, you're putting a lot of fear out there. Are you going to put as much energy into apologising if this doesn't happen as you did in creating as much fear? It's been three and a half years since I've had four. Is it five jabs? I've lost count of how many jabs I've had. Four or five? And praise be to God, I'm still up here. Yeah. yeah. This, from an ancient Jewish point of view, was serious. You couldn't just go out there and say, in the name of God, this is going to happen. And the reason behind it was because it scared people, it misled people, it, it, it took them away from where God really wanted them to be. It uh, debilitated people to do God's work. It did a lot of things. But there's one thing that's, that's even worse than that in the ancient's mind and, and, and for many scholars today. That is to not do what God has told you to do. So when you hear God say, do this, and you decide, I'm not going to do this, the ancient rabbis taught that's worse. And here's a prophet that we're talking about this morning that did just that. It wasn't just, I'm not going to preach. I'm not only not going to preach, I'm going to turn in the opposite direction and I'm going to run away. I don't want to do what you want me to do. First of all, I don't believe these people deserve it because they're just rotten people. And frankly, he most probably is aware that the fact that he might not survive going over there and telling them the message God has for him. He was happy in Joppa. He was doing his own little thing till God intervened. We're coming into chapter 2, and we left him last week where he was hauled overboard unceremoniously into the ocean, and as he is drowning, thinking it couldn't get any worse than this, a fish comes along and swallows him. So I can only imagine what he's thinking inside the belly of a fish. But this is actually, he wrote it down what he was thinking. I don't need to imagine it. This is what he says. He says this. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord. And he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help. Now, it was interesting. I, I can't remember who reminded me last week on this. Shoal, the grave. He's saying he's dead. He's literally got no life left in him. He's gone. He's passed into the other world. That's how bad this is for him. It's not just chilling out. He's gone. And from the very depths of the dead, he calls for help. And you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas. And the current swirled about me and your waves and breakers swept all over me. And I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again towards your holy temple the engulfing waters threatened me, the deep surrounding me, the seaweed was wrapped around my head to the roots of the mountains. I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. And when my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and I prayed and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them 
But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will pray, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I'll make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. And then the Lord commanded the fish and vomited Jonah onto dry land. Yeah, I mean, there's a bit of a smile at the end there, right? It's all serious, it's all in. And then the chapter 2 ends with, we're going to throw him up on the beach. Um, last week we saw a couple of, or three things. We saw that God cares for all people. We saw that God can use anyone to set us straight. And we saw that God works even through our failures. This week we're going to see another three things in the way God operates. And the first one is God is beyond all our fears. Like I said, Jonah is stuck in the belly of the whale. He doesn't look like this scene here from Pinocchio. That's Gebetto who's just sitting there. He's got, a, he's got a little stove on the left there. He's got a little candle. I don't know how he lit that little candle up, but he's lit up. He's drying his clothes. He's having a good old time. It's camping. Now you know why I don't like camping. It's the same right there. There it is. You know, forget about, you know, bad breath or anything like that of the whale. He's happy in there. This is not the scenario, right? This is not where Jonah is. As he said, he is past the doors of death. Seaweed wrapped around his head in the gastric tunnels of this fish that is just slowly eating him away. And he is praising God from inside a fish. I don't know about you guys, but I'd be pretty upset with God in this moment. You could have saved me, Lord. You call this saving? You know what it's going to do to my skin? Right? I'm not going to get the smell out for weeks. Couldn't you just send a nice little boat to come pick me up? Couldn't I have just gotten a saddle on the fish and just rode it back into the... He's praising God. Look, when he's praising God, he doesn't even know that he's going to be saved. He has no idea that this is going to actually come to pass. But he is praising God. And I'm fascinated by this because, you know, if you read here in Hebrews, through Jesus, therefore, let us continue to offer to God a sacrifice of praise. And I think when it comes to like when we have worship and praise at church, we have like a, like a holy jukebox of songs that we like to sing, right? And we forget that worship and praise is all about sacrifice. You're not here looking at how good I can play the bass or how, you know, great-looking Lee on the drums is or is anyone smiling from up front? Oh, they're playing that song again. It's too loud, it's too soft. I only like it when Charles leads. I've heard it all. And it's not just in this church... I've been, I mean, I've pastored in the States, I've pastored in Australia, I've pastored in Italy. They're all the same. And here you see a guy who has no music, who I'd imagine can't even remember any words to a song while he's being slowly digested in a fish. And he's offering up a sacrifice of praise. And when people tell me, I don't really want to go to church anymore, church is not significant, it's not this, it's not that, and I'm like, that's just not the point. It's a sacrifice. I do it because God wants me to. Believe me, guys, I, Monica can tell you, I'm not a morning person. 
Alan can tell you every time we do some cleanup work on a, on a Saturday morning, I'm like, oh. If it were up to me, Sunday, I'd be sleeping in. Catch up on my football games. Go for a walk. It's a sacrifice. And he knows in the belly of a whale, whatever fish it is, he's offering a sacrifice of praise to God. Can we say the same? There's a bit of a challenge there for you to think through. It comes to worshipping and praising our God, it's our sacrifice. Because that is what he wants. So not only is he praising God for him being inside a fish, but he also assumes that he'll be saved. Jonah's got the big picture in mind, and that's something we all need to have. If you study history, you realize that there are a lot, a lot of people that came before us. A lot of them with dreams and ambitions and, and stresses and heartaches. And here we are today. And we've got to believe that there's something bigger than just this moment. That salvation happens not just in this lifetime, but goes beyond. He assumes he'll be saved. He sees the big picture. And while he describes this distressing moment, I mean, you can almost feel it, can't you? The waves are lapping over, the seaweed's wrapping around, slowly sinking beneath the waves. You can imagine in that moment, there's no hope. There's nothing left. And he praises God. And he assumes that God's going to save him. Now, frankly, I'd rather not be thrown up on a beach. But then again, that's most probably better than staying inside a belly of a fish, right? So I want to move on from that. He's come up. He's done well. He's survived. Maybe stinks a little bit. Maybe his complexion doesn't look too good. And we pray that as he heads off to Nineveh, he gets a shower. But it's fascinating because then in the beginning of chapter 3, God says this. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to, the me- to it the message I give you. you know, God, God's pretty hard-lined about this, isn't he? You know, that whole chapter two, 1 and 2 was a bit of a parenthesis around what, what God really wanted. And that's what God had to do to work with Jonah to get him to where he wanted him to be. And now for some of us, we're stuck in chapter 1, maybe making our way into chapter 2. For some of us, we're in chapter 2, being slowly digested in the belly of a fish, wondering where God is. But when you get through all of this, God still wants you to do what she's called you to do. When you're at the other end and you're on the beach and you're chilling and you're enjoying the nice warmth of the sun, praising God that you are still alive, he is still calling you. He hasn't forgotten his message to you. He is a patient God. And he deals with us. Boy, does he deal with us, slowly works through us, allows us to run off and do all these things, but still calls us back to where he wants us to be. So Jonah, having learnt his lesson, heads off to Nineveh, and he preaches them 
a wonderful message. It said, Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and he went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. So Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. So maybe Jonah and his relationship with God is restored, but Jonah's attitude seems a little bit wanting here, doesn't it? It's a, it's a city that requires three days. He walks about one day in, gives them eight words, says nothing about God, doesn't tell them that they could be forgiven, that salvation is found from the Lord. No, he just tells them straight out, 40 more days and then it will be overthrown. It's the worst evangelical message I've ever heard. That's not encouraging, is it? If I went out and went to your house, knocked on the door and said, 40 more days and your house will burn down. Oh, thank you, Rob. Do you have something else to do? Somewhere else to go? So basically, a third of the city have heard this message and most of them would have been scratching their heads thinking, what's he talking about? We're the biggest city in the known world at that time. We're the biggest empire around. We've been around for two and a half thousand years. Who is this guy? And he smells. What's wrong with your skin, mate? It's a bit blanched. Where have you been? 40 more days and then it will be overthrown. You'd expect that kind of response from him, wouldn't you? You would expect that. And instead, the reaction is completely what you would never expect. And, and Chona never expected it. Because we know God is forgiving, but we see this in action with the worst kind of people on the planet in all of history, I would argue, that God will forgive them. The king hears the message. The finally, he gets the message finally, right? And I don't know how it got to him, okay? And I don't know in what way it got to the king, but when he heard this eight-word message from this weird prophet guy, he rose from his throne, he took off his royal robes, he then covered himself in sackcloth and then sat down in the dust. What a response. Man, I wish our leaders would do that. He rose from his throne. I mean, he heard this message. And, you know, I'd be asking a whole bunch of questions. What do you mean in 40, like literally 40 days? Or, you know, are you, are you, are you figuratively speaking? Um, and who is it that you represent? He then calls everyone to fasting. He then tells them, do not let anyone eat or drink. This is his first dictator. He tells everybody in the city, you're going to have to stop it, and not just the people, the animals as well. All the cows and horses and sheep. Poor Cecil, he's going to be missing out on a few meals. In fasting, everyone, every living being in our city is going to stop eating. We're going to fast. And then the next step we're going to do is we're going to repent. Everyone is going to be covered in sin, including the animals. I don't know if that makes any difference to an animal. Cecil most probably won't like it. But everyone, every living thing is going to be covered in sackcloth. Uh, imagine every animal covered in sackcloth. Everyone in the city is covered in sackcloth. Thirdly, everyone's going to pray. We are all going to call on urgently to this God. We're going to call on this God that, that, that Jonah has told us about and we're going to pray to him. And then 
Fourthly, there's a bit of action involved, and that action is we need to give up our evil ways. And lastly, he says, let's just hope that God may have compassion and forgive us. These are heathens. These guys have conquered nations after nation after nation, and here is their response. It's actually a really good model for the way we might want to deal with the sins in our lives. Fasting, you know, just actually, let me just pull back from things. Uh, Repentance. I need to actually repent, call on the Lord in prayer, take action and stop doing what I'm doing and and pray that God will forgive me. It's actually a really good model for us today. It's fascinating that these heathens take sin that seriously, take their evil ways that seriously. We tend to not to. Kind of like, you know, speaking on God's behalf when he's not asked us to speak, right? Scaring a whole bunch of people. Or misinformation, which is probably one of our biggest issues. I was reading a a Gallup report just at the end of last year. They say misinformation is the biggest threat to humanity. Can you believe that? Yeah. It's gotten out of control. So, hey, we Christians maybe be able to do things a little differently, can't we? Doesn't seem like we are, though. These heathens are showing us, they're showing Jonah what it means to repent, to turn from your evil ways. And Jesus speaks about them. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 12, he says, a wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign. He's talking about the Jews. Okay, these are people who are set apart by God. These are God's holy people, right? He's calling them a wicked and adulterous generation. He's not talking about the Romans. He's not talking about, you know, uh, the Egyptians or or the Greeks. He's, He's talking about the Jews here. He's saying a wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the man of God, the son of man, will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. Eight words is all they heard. Eight words. They will repent, repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now something greater than Jonah is here. And his name's Jesus. And he has set us free from the lies that this world throws us. He has set us free from the bondage that this world continues to push against us. He has shown us what sacrifice looks like, what to be like him looks like. And I reckon we don't really need to say anything at all, but if we just lived like Jesus, if every Christian on this planet lived like Jesus, I think the world will be a much better place. Because if God could use eight cranky words from Jonah to change a whole city, man, what can he do with us? What can he do through us?
rather than spread lies and misinformation, let's share with them the truth. That Jesus Christ, the Son of God, gave up his power, came to this earth, walked amongst us, carried our burdens, took it to the cross and died for our sins, but conquered death and rose on the third day so that we may have hope in everlasting life through him and in him. Amen? Next week's going to be tougher. Because next week, it's that final little chapter where Jonah has a bit of a hissy fit with God. And it talks directly to us, I believe, today. Our little hissy fits. How can we change that around? How can we do this so that his name is blessed among the nations? Let's pray. Father God, Uh, forgive us, Lord, because uh, we, we can be oh, so much like Jonah at times. Uh, we know you, Lord. We know you're calling at times and we want to turn and run away from it. We know that there are people there that need to hear about you, that need to know you. The, you, you are salvation. And yet all they tend to hear from us is our anger and our frustrations and our demands and our wants and our rights and our ways. You held all the power, Jesus, and you chose to give it up. You could have called down thousands of angels and shown your glory on high, and yet you chose the humiliation of a cross. Half naked and neglected, abandoned by your friends and all those that you had healed and walked with. And yet in that, you've called us to be there. Forgive us, Lord. Forgive us, Father, when it's just us and we forget you. May we be a worthy sacrifice for your glory, Lord. For your glory. 